I'll work with this one. Thanks, Steve. That little click reminded me I hadn't plugged myself in properly yet. Sam, it's been a wonderful time of worship this morning. Thank you. Thank you for everybody that's participated. It's, it's just been, been lovely. And I, I'm so pleased about what Kay and Ken shared. That was a really powerful story. Family stuff is really hard, isn't it? It just... I, I sometimes wonder how people function, how, how they even get out of bed in the morning when this sort of stuff's going on. And then, then Ken came and gave me that fresh insight into doing business. <laughs> and I was reminded how, how in our walk with God we're a work in progress, you know. Because, uh, you know, there's a lot of satisfaction sometimes in getting, getting back. <laughs> and it's, it's oh, you know, I just found it very refreshing. <laughs> I, do you remember some of us older ones would remember Sunday best? You know, you remember you had that set of clothes that you wore? That was your Sunday best. We lived in an era, those of us who are older and grew up, when we wore our best stuff to church on Sunday. Now we live in an era where we kind of, a lot of us like to dress down for Sunday because we have dressed up during the week, you know. Um, now, for the last couple of decades, I haven't had to think about what I wear on a, on a Sunday. It tended to fall into the same basic framework, a nice really white shirt with lovely maroon epaulets and a tie and trousers. Um, it tended to be the same thing every week. For those of you who may not be aware, uh, Bev and I have served as Salvation Army officers for the last 20 years and uh, I could rush in fairly late into the wardrobe or the, you know, and get dressed. Now when I do the same thing, I go, what shirt did I wear? <laughs> I was about to pull one shirt out of the cupboard this morning. I thought, I think I wore that last week, didn't I? And I'm trying to remember. So you, you, you guys might need to help me. Can you be the shirt police for me? <laughs> if I wear the same shirt two weeks running, let me know. Um, Just, uh, we're just in a season of real refreshing. I, I was sharing with some folks through the week and, you know, it bears out there was a word that was given uh, to the church by a, a person in, from EBC, from um, Eltham Baptist Church, when they were here the morning when we formally welcomed myself and Bev and Brent and Rachel into this fellowship and they formally released uh, and sent Brent out to this church on that Sunday night. And, and one of the, the folks in the church there who receives words from the Lord from time to time uh, came to me and said, look, I, I, you know, sometimes when I'm praying I get a very clear kind of picture of something and and I would go to Stuart, who is their senior pastor, and, and say, look, this is what the Lord has said, I, I feel through. And, and over time, they've come to trust these words. you know. And she came up uh, qu- 
quite excited to me and said, um, while we were praying, um, and uh, I, I saw really, really clearly uh, this church became like a, a pool. This whole building, she said, the best thing I can describe it is like a pool. And, and that this place would become known around the neighbourhood as a place where we can find refreshing. And I thought that was a wonderful word, she, she, to the point of saying, you, you know, that Monty will become known, um, will get a reputation, was the way that she put it, in the community for refreshing. Then that night, um, as they were praying for Brent and Rachel, and, and uh, thank you for that communion this morning, mate. That was, that was beautifully, lovely, sensitively run. I had no problem with you being a Baptist at all. Um, <laughs> some of my best friends, my parents are le- elapsed brethren and find themselves worshipping in the Baptist church. Um, as somebody said to me once, well, you've got to come from somewhere. <laughs> but but uh, this lady felt to expand that and she said, look, uh, I feel, feel to say that, that, that the next season in the life of Monty will be a season of, firstly, very real refreshing for us, which I thought was kind of nice. Um, life has pretty, been pretty hectic the last few months. And I, I, I've, I've started to sense, I'll just say this with you, and then we'll get in, into the word. Uh, so Just so that you know, uh, it's, re- it's certainly resonating with my, my heart. That, that word about this place because I've actually already sensed this, that within the body here there is, there, there is a very strong sense of welcome and grace and there's a gentle spirit in the midst. Now, somebody said to me once, don't forget behind every smile is a set of teeth. Um, <laughs> And, and the nature of family life is there'll, there'll be times when we'll butt up against each other and there'll be disagreements and things like that. We've been hearing a bit about those kinds of things this morning. However, can I say that uh, for me it's important coming into a fellowship to kind of take time to, to tap into the heartbeat of a people and, and to kind of pick up on where you've been in the journey in God from the beginning and see what the Lord has sown in over generations and what's becoming kind of a grace, if you like, that the Lord has rested on this people as part of his wider body of Christ. And Psalm 23, we quoted this at the end of last week uh, because we were talking about Psalm 22 within the Easter context and, and it's come again to me freshly this week very strongly for myself. This is where I feel that I'm sitting. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. The Lord's doing that in me at the moment. It is so lovely to be here. It's wonderful even just to be able to walk up the street and go across the road to Weir Street and try to decide between which of the four coffee shops I'm going to have coffee at. And don't tell, it, don't tell Bev, but sometimes I've already sussed out which the best bakery is. 
and so I'll sneak a sly pie or a sausage roll, but please don't let her know. (laughs) He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now the next bit I'm not sure about, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And I guess your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That is a common thing to all of us, isn't it? We, We walk in the valley of the shadow of death every day in so many ways. And here, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy or love, as it says here, will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Wow. So, an encouraging word. Folks, the Lord has lives that he wishes for us to touch with his refreshing, restoring spirit, the the balm of Gilead that brings healing, peace, lifting of guilt, breaking of bondage. And uh, it's exciting as you pray into the future in your personal journey with the Lord and as we collectively move forward to, to pray into that that the Lord will continue to sow seeds in people and in lives that we don't even know yet but in, in, at some point in the future we'll look back and find trouble remembering a time when we didn't know them that they weren't perhaps our closest brother or sister and there they are and the Lord is preparing them now to draw them to himself and we because of just what the Lord is doing in our heart and in our soul and spirit will be part of that extravagant, beautiful, eternal kingdom business of winning people to himself. So, we should close in prayer now, shouldn't we really? But This journey in Genesis, wow, you know, it's, it's, it can be really tough because... Uh, some of these stories for some of us who have been around for a while get kind of so familiar, don't they? And, and you go, oh Lord, uh, what, what do you want to say to us this morning through sometimes these very familiar stories? I, I, this in very many ways is a tipping point in Genesis. A, a, a spiritual crisis, spiritual breakthrough, and and some things were never to be the same from this point. Let's let's read from Genesis chapter 32. We're following on the story that we had, the narrative leading up to Easter, and uh, uh, Chris had finished bringing the word about Laban, uh, Jacob's uncle, who uh, they you know. It seems to be a way of life, doesn't it, for them back in that primitive culture. We might say primitive. Uh, it's not necessarily so different to us in so many ways. The, the skullduggery, the manipulations, the, the scheming uh, of, of how uh, life worked and how business was done in those days. Jacob... Uh, leaves Laban they, he tried to kind of go out on the quiet uh, but in the end they left uh, on good terms 
And so we come to 32 verse 1. And Jacob also went on his way and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanaim. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, this is what you are to say to my master Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I've been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, manservants and maidservants. Now I'm sending this message to you, my lord, that I may find favour in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he's coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and the herds and camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. (laughs) Was Jacob jumping out of the frying pan into the fire, leaving Laban and finding himself now encountering his brother from whom he had stolen his birthright? deceptively stolen. He hadn't seen him, I think it was about 20 years. In the meantime, um, he had become moderately wealthy. And and, And Esau is heading his way. He's coming out to meet him with 400 men. Wow. I guess... You know, he's used, he was considering what would happen. He sent out the advance party to perhaps suss out a little bit what Esau's likely reaction to him coming uh, might be. This really spooked him. The fact that Esau headed out from town to meet him with 400 men. Uh, in the message translation, verse 7, Jacob was scared, very scared. I love that. One commentator has said the impending media uh, meeting with Esau shook Jacob to the depths of his soul. He was terrified. He was was mortified. He, He had no idea what Esau was likely to do. So immediately strategically thinking I'll, I can't do anything about it I'll divide it into two groups so that if he attacks one one might survive he's already starting to kind of plan and escape the thing is that Jacob's not in the same place that he was back in when he left he kind of ran away from Esau after betraying him nor is he in the same place as he was during Laban his time with Laban the leaving of Laban was different to how they had been doing business up until then, really. They left on good terms. There was an awakening, one might suggest, that was starting to happen in Jacob's heart. And in the very first verse, there are angels in, you know, that, come, that met with him. You'd think that that would be a little bit encouraging. You, you know, he recognised it. Um, Mahane means two camps. If you, once again, if you drop to the bottom of the page, you can see there's a little reference point in the NIV, if that's what you've got, and there'll be others with, which say things slightly differently, um, meaning one was the camp of God and the other was his camp, 
you know, there's a very strong sense of the, the, in, the indwelling, abiding presence of God at this place that had impressed Jacob in that way. Um, a preacher, Alexander McLaren, he preached a sermon, Mahanaim, the two camps, apparently once, and he made these points. That God's angels, yeah, you know, there's a lot of things that masquerade as angels these days. There's a lot of talk about angelic guides, spirit guides, you know, uh, the word talks about that the, that the devil comes to us as an angel of light, so he might deceive many. Um, how do we know that those books on the shelves are not new age impersonations and telling about angels and making them sound all nice and sweet when they may be more demonic, demonic in their origin, or at least a deception? Um, however you might interpret those things. He made some points. He said, um, God's angels meet us on the, on the dusty road of everyday life. God's angels meet us exactly on time in the hour of need. And God's angels come in the form we need. God is more than capable of making an approach to us like he does through his word, like he does through his Holy Spirit, like he does through his angelic host. He's more than capable of coming to us in such a way that we know it is God. Out of fear and by now guilt, Jacob devises a plan. But you know, he also sought the Lord. Let's, let's read from verse 9. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, have you ever heard people refer to Yahweh, the God that we love and serve, uh, Almighty God, however we, you know, Jehovah God, another Greek way of saying Yahweh, um, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And in a sense, it differentiates that God from Allah, who there's a, you know, there's a common heritage at Abraham, isn't there? When Ishmael was sent out, God looked after Ishmael. But there's defining and saying the God that we love and serve is not the God of Abraham. It's actually the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Now here, Jacob says, God of Abraham and my father Isaac, back to the text, verse 9, O Lord who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all... Listen to the change of heart in this man. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I've become two groups... Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. So in his culture, in his divided mind and heart, in his shades of grey way of doing life, you know, Jacob, of deceptive practices with Laban, of telling lies, of, of trying to manipulate things to his own ends and experiencing similar treatment from Laban and, and in life, I, I mean, you, you'd say, well, the guy was getting what he deserved. Look what he did to Esau. Esau was also under God's condemnation because he sold out his birthright for a pot of stew, you know. I mean, how much did he care 
about what God had promised him. So here he is, but now he's coming to God with a humble heart and, and, and something is different. He's recognising, even in the midst of the, what would be considered normal way of doing life, that, that he's done wrong. That he has something to seek God's forgiveness for. He comes humbly and in the face of possible slaughter of him, himself and his whole family, he's praying for deliverance. No pagan gods now for, for Jacob. It's the God of Abraham and Isaac, the Lord who directs, who promises, who has power and authority. No arrogance now. I am unworthy, you know. Let's read verse 13 on. He spent the night there and from what he had with him he selected a gift for his brother Esau. And he, he would just skip these next verses but it's lots of camels and donkeys and cattle and sheep and, that's, and goats. Thank you. Don't want to miss anything. This is a lot of dollars and cents. A lot of green bills with hundred written on them, you know. And and he instructs so he sends a wave of herds in front of him. This is the plan, to, to sort of wash he saw with all these these gifts. Verse seventeen. He instructed the one in the lead, When my brother Esau meets you and asks, To whom do you belong and where are you going and or, and who owns all these animals in front of you, then you are to say they belong to your servant. Interesting, isn't it? My, he's talking about my Lord Esau and they belong to your servant Jacob. Whoa, you know, what happened to the arrogance of poaching his birthright? They are a gift sent to my Lord Esau and he is coming behind us. He, he also instructed the second and the third and all the others who followed the herds. You are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him and be sure to say your servant Jacob is coming behind us for he thought I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. So here's our, here's our humanity at work. He's, he's come to Almighty God, he's recognised something, he's moving forward in his life, he is under intense spiritual crisis, in intense spiritual crisis, and he quite rightly prays to God. He acknowledges who God is, if you look at what he said. He acknowledges who God is. He reminds God of his promises to him and he, he, he asks for deliverance. He makes the ask. He recognises he is totally unworthy of anything from God. This, this is a man in crisis. This is a man who's at the end of himself. He's, he's been trying to figure out schemes to, to deal with the need that he has now within him to make reconciliation with Esau and fully would understand fully if those 400 men came armed to the teeth and they weren't to catch their second breath as soon as these guys came over the hill. It would be just laid waste, everything, right down to their budgie. So what do you do? Um, one moment he's praying courageously before God for deliverance. The next moment he's going, I'm going to send everything out in front of me. I'll send all these gifts all out in front of me. So humanity kicks in again and he's just kind of hiding behind. He's, this is my plan B maybe. This is you know, just my backup plan. If God doesn't come through, I'm going to have something in place to fall back on. You know, maybe that was a stupid prayer to pray. 
Maybe I shouldn't be asking God for anything, really, you know. Maybe I'm out from under his blessing. So whatever we might do to justify coming up with kind of our own human, through our own human resources, it didn't seem to occur to him that maybe that was a bit of a, a, a terrible thing to do, to send all these people in front of him, you know. So they'd be the first ones to feel the, the sword. Perhaps I'll pacify him with these gifts that I'm sending on ahead. Later when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. Mm. Now, he had sent things on, but he spent the night in the camp. And uh, let's read verse 24 or 22 on. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. Sounds like something out of Star Wars, doesn't it? Jabbok. The ford of Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. Uh, So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man uh, asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob but Israel because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, and if once again there's a little footnote that says Peniel means face of God, saying, it is because I saw God's fa- God face to face and yet my life was spared. That's why he named it Peniel. And, and Peniel is a, is a word that sometimes has been used in the, in the body of Christ as a, as a term which indicates significant spiritual struggle leading to, to breakthrough and great transformation. 31. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. So here records one of the most significant spiritual struggles and victories in Genesis. It's only in a few verses. It only takes a few verses. Jacob, however would not let go. There are some, sometimes time in our, times in our journey of faith in the Lord where the challenge is, do we let go? Sometimes we talk about pressing in, pressing in, pushing in a little bit more when it comes to making an approach to God. To, 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 you know, we, we might decide that we will fast and pray over something. We, we, we want to be intentional and, and sincerely specific and, and we're, this is not a casual prayer God. This is really significant. And, and here Jacob, this primitive follower of God, is clinging to whom he comes to realise is God himself who has made an approach to him in a form that he can actually wrestle him and actually overcome him. 
Jacob the deceitful one is a name for Jacob or another meaning is or heel catcher. Jacob the supplanter became Israel the struggler with God. One who prevails with God is another way we can understand the name Israel. Our sin affects others. And forgiveness and reconciliation must be sought of them. And, and have, have we experienced, many of us in our journey, those times when all of a sudden something just kind of weighs on us, a person weighs on us and sits on us, we know we've done wrong. There are times, and, and I can say with Bev and I in, in our, our time as pastors in, as, in a church, there are times when even uh, unintentionally we will offend people. I, I sometimes joke, if, if I'm around long enough, I will wind up offending all of you. you know? <laughs> it kind of goes with the territory in many ways. But there are times when there's a falling out and, and sometimes we'll feel the injustice of it because they've actually done the wrong. They've done the wrong. You know? We're just trying to do the right thing and, and they've let, let us down. It wasn't the agreement or something. But the way they're feeling it is we have wronged them. And, and in one situation they left the church. They were leaving the church. And it was really hard in a sense to... We felt the Lord just laid it on our heart. You know, you, we've got to let them go and we've got to bless them in their going. You know, it, it, it meant that we... And the problem was that if you don't seek some kind of reconciliation, offer the opportunity for the giving and receiving of forgiveness. I see forgiveness as like scissors. You need both the blades to work. You need forgiveness being given and, and received for it to work. Otherwise it doesn't kind of cut properly. And, and yet, you know, okay, he didn't ever ask forgiveness. You know, so, so then in that situation we're called on to give it in spite of the fact it might not even be asked for. You know, the Lord himself said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Why? So that it would not rest on them. Like specifically, the guilt, uh, the, the debt, the sin debt. And, and for us, we, we made an appointment, uh, we went around, saw them one night, and, and we just said, look, just where we are, really uh, Sorry for what we may have done um, to bring you to this point, this great hurt and deep wounding. It wasn't to try to win them back. Um, It was simply to allow them to go and to help them feel blessed in the going, to be released in the going, in the leaving. Um, And, you know, I got an email the next day saying how how special and precious that was. You know, the emails had been fairly poisonous and here was one just with a different tone just saying, look, thank you for going to the, for coming. And, and you know, I'm not, it's not about, you know, aren't we wonderful because I've got to say that there are things I've carried through my life in terms of I'm not wanting to let go, a sense of needing to revenge for some time. 
and the Lord just keeps bringing them up. Every now and then there might be somebody and, and nothing's bothering you for years but then all of a sudden somebody will come into your life, into your mind, into your thinking, into your heart. You'll start kind of thinking of them a lot. What's the Lord calling you to? It may be to make some approach. Maybe there's an opportunity. Maybe they've already gone and, and you can't personally, face to face, ask forgiveness and seek reconciliation. But you, you need, and this is where Jacob was, firstly you have to come to the Lord and seek his forgiveness and make reconciliation with him. And, and if you can in the physical and if you can in the material with somebody else, fine. But God's ultimately the one we've wronged. He's ultimately the one that we've crossed. And, and he's ultimately the one that we're actually out of fellowship with, out of sorts with, as we carry this stuff in our hearts. Jacob had to give over his schemes and devices and rely absolutely on the Lord God to deliver him and bring him blessing, accepting undeserved mercy and grace from God. Now, if you read the next chapter, which is part of our, our word this morning, you'll notice that probably Jacob, while he doesn't um, follow back with Esau, he goes to Shechem and the story then goes on. I guess you would say if you were Jacob, well, that went well. <laughs> that went well with Esau. It was a very powerful that went well because when he saw Esau, and you'll notice too if you read the narrative that Jacob by the morning walking with his limp led the party. He got in front. He didn't send them ahead. Even overnight he'd changed a bit more. He'd advanced a bit more. He didn't send them ahead. It was no longer a matter of trying to win over Esau. It was a matter of getting in Esau's face and saying, my dear brother, he started to bow to him seven times and you know, Esau, he, God had been working in Esau too. He'd blessed him. He was wealthy. you know, and, and he just grabs Jacob. Now both of these guys go on to live fallen lives. They weren't Mother Teresa by this stage. However, in that moment, Esau steps up and shows Jacob undeserved grace and mercy and forgiveness and love and welcome and totally blew Jacob out of the water. He said, Esau, just seeing your face, I feel like I've seen the face of God. That was his reaction. His, his enemy, the, the, you know, all of that stuff that so worried him and concerned him. And when he encounters him, he goes, it's like seeing the face of God. Unbelievable. He didn't see who he wrestled the night before, but he saw in Esau God. Now, Jacob was given a new name and I'd like to pose a thought to you this morning as we draw, uh, draw close. This time Jacob did not take the blessing. It was bestowed on him. And he, he was marked. God marked him with a hip dislodgement. 
probably stayed with him the whole of his rest of his life so that when he woke up in the morning or got up in the morning there was no it wasn't a dream it actually happened I did wrestle with the supernatural somehow I, I, I know in my heart it was God it was no dream they can do wonderful things with hips today but not then In our journey with God, knowing that God's heart is to bless us and bestow upon us destiny, bestow upon us purpose, bestow upon us kingship. You know, we are in the family. If if you see yourself as a follower of Jesus today, in an eternal family of sons and daughters, heir to all that God has not Laban not Esau, not Jacob all that God has so as we come to him and as we press in on him and as we lay our stuff down, as we allow God to have his way with us as, as we uh, prepared to give over our vengeful feelings, get to, to give over our flesh thinking and rely more on him and, and hang on to God and God's, and you're saying to God, God, I cannot go, as others have said in the, through the scriptures, we dare not leave this place unless we know you go with us. I dare not move forward in my life and make serious decisions and, and unless I know you go with me, God. And, and when we come to that kind of place where we'll wrestle with God, and, and the blessing then comes because it's God's heart to lay a blessing on each one of us. A blessing of godliness of himself, uh, of destiny and purpose, like I said, uh, of just that sense in which you actually get to a point where you feel like you're living in paradise already. Heaven on earth. Journeying in the purpose of God. It's not about money. It's not about comfort. It's not about self it's, it's about my spirit being where it was always created to be, at one with my God. I wonder what your name would be. I, 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 wonder, I wonder if God was going to rename you. Saul became Paul. You know, Abram became Abraham. Sarah became Sarah. And, and you look into those and you understand that the, the names and the meanings behind the names, you are named by God in some way. Each one of us carries a special oh, purpose, destiny, shape. There's one thing you know, David was beloved of God. Where's your heart? What what might be, if you were to think about where you sit and how your gifts work, how, who you are shaped like, like how you're shaped. I wonder if you were to put a name on yourself. You know, it might be grace. It might be courage. It might be warrior. What, what, might, what might be that kind of stamp that it's not so much the seal but, but that stamp 
that God puts on you. And let me suggest this, that if that mark that you carry is of God, the ultimate name that you would give yourself is Christ or Christ follower or Christ becomer. We create in the image of God, yes. But as we become more shaped in his purpose and shaped as he wants us to be, then we too, like Jacob, when he sees Esau, he sees God in him. And, and isn't that our ultimate desire? Isn't that our ultimate kind of joy? Isn't that paradise to us? Is that as we live our lives, people see Christ in us and we bear his name with joy and with dignity because he lifts us up and puts us on a high place and clothes us in the righteousness of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, whoa, it's so big, your word. You have so much to say to us through even the simplest or most familiar of stories. And, and how don't we see, or boy, don't we see how much... Uh, We are alike. We thank you, Lord, that you have sent your spirit to dwell amongst your people, that we may be salt and light in our world, that we may be a refreshing pool of new life in Christ to people around us, that we, by being in your purpose and in your will, could be people uh, that grow more and more like you every day, Lord Jesus. Father, we we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your patience with us. We thank you for that abiding message that you will use all sorts of people and and you give us choice. You never override our free will. However, you make an approach to us that draws us to yourself and and should we respond to you and allow you to have your way with us and, and we learn better and better and more and more to lay down our stuff on the altar and say, Lord, you give us back what you want from, of my talent, of my capacity, of my resources. I, I put it all on the altar for your purpose. You, you give it back to me, sanctified by you and authored by you that I may be exactly where you want me to be. Thank you, Lord, that spiritual crisis can lead to spiritual breakthrough and victory. And Lord, that would be our prayer this morning, that each one of us, as we go into our week, would be people of victory, where we live our life, we share our life, we declare our life in Christ, and people see the very face of God somehow in your humble servants. Thank you for your goodness to us, Lord, and your grace and mercy. Hear our prayers. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.